0: Welcome to the D.C. Independent Film Festival's podcast. We are the oldest independent film festival in Washington, D.C., dedicated to independent filmmakers since 1999. This year is the 20th anniversary of the DCIFF, and we are so excited to share with you our wonderful films. This episode, we interviewed Pasqui Rivas, the director for the feature-length documentary Ordinary Gods, They followed the lives and sacrifices of six of the world's most promising professional soccer players. Pasqui spoke with me about the players, the world of soccer and sports, why it means so much to people, and his challenges in directing such a huge project. Okay, so um, thank you for being on the podcast. We are with director Pasqui Rivas, and uh, I'm Tara Jabari, and we are going to talk about your documentary, Ordinary Gods, that's going to be in the 20th anniversary, also known as the 2019 DC Independent Film Festival in early March 2019. So thank you again for doing this. And Thank you. So what I wanted to know is, first of all, this this document, I got to watch it. And so for people who haven't seen it yet, it was following for several years a couple of very uh, promising soccer or football players uh, throughout their journey to get to the big leagues. And I remember there was a couple who get really injured. People had to leave their families um, Mm. and things. So I was just wondering, and and I was looking at some interviews that you had done, like with hypeworld.com, that you were more interested in the stories of the people, not about the sport itself. So could you elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Well, yes, for sure. Um, I... I'm actually someone that is interested in almost anything I honestly I find beauty in many things that probably a lot of people do not and I need to remind myself that just because we are making entertainment so I, I always I always kind of gauge myself like all right would, would someone else be interested in this um if that Not that that dictates my inclinations or my decisions, but it is something that's always in the back of my mind. Now, in terms of was I more interested in in the lives than the sports, what was happening is that their particular experiences of these players were speaking to me on a more universal level than the sport itself. I mean, I grew up in Argentina. I lived there almost all my life. Oh, by now, I mean, I've, I've lived in the States for a while, but... Uh, and football is definitely part of your upbringing. It's inevitable. It's something that you either do good or you do bad, but you do do it. Um, so it it was a very common and accessible language, the the football aspect of me, but the revelations came through the the insight that was that we had access to when following these players. The film follows six professional players Mm. um or oh most of them professional some of them not uh in this journey in in which we learn of the sacrifices loss losses and decisions of being on the professional stage um what i found very interesting Mm -hmm. when 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 starting to listening to to the say the first interviews as they were coming in is that these kids in their early 20s came across with such maturity that that was unprecedented for me at least um and then following their their stories and understanding what their lives is like i kind of gained way more respect for them. Not that I disrespected them in the past. I just was unaware of the fact that they are so mature because they make the decisions that almost everybody else makes in their early 20s. They make them when they're 12 and 13 years old, which is learning how to leave your home or Mm -hmm. saying goodbye to your parents or making really big decisions of moving abroad or moving far. Um, and and then the, the the mindset that is required to endure these
0: situations. Yeah, the so by training the time- and all that stuff, like hours of day of training to be the best. Oh, oh yes, uh, for sure. Because
1: there's it's, but the thing is that it's a combination between short term goals that mm-hmm. they have, like having a great match the next weekend, with the vision of a career and what choices need to that need to be made what sacrifices need to be made and what um, scenarios need to be avoided in order to succeed and if you are constantly seeing your life with that kind of of looking ahead um, uh, attitude it, it it makes you a very mature human being wow. um, so I guess that was speaking to me because I I I mean I grew up between Argentina and the states going back and forth as a when I was really young and there were many experiences of eradication and uprootedness that I felt early on and in many ways I feel, I do feel like I had to grow up very early. So I was connecting to the characters in that sense.
0: And I was wondering, Sports in general really can unite and mean a lot to a lot of people. So I was always wondering, why do you think, especially since you traveled the world and saw how different countries, how different families treated this career path for the individual uh, gentlemen that were working in the, the football league? Am I kind you know um, I don't know the terminologies so please correct me but how did you see why sports connect so many people and mean so much to people that it is something so serious you know if your team loses it's like you lost kind of thing. well let me see let me
1: think about that but there's two before before I go into
0: the answer mm-hmm. something very particular of the way I made this film is that I
1: actually did not I was not the one traveling we had since this oh. film because this film starts following 63 players all over the world of which we start narrowing down oh. the most compelling and interesting stories that could hold a feature length film and there was no way someone could do this so we had crews all over the world gotcha and yeah, and we had different crews because these characters moved from continent to continent, from country to country. So, in one way, I dealt with the footage as if it were archival, in a way, like found footage for me. Mm-hmm. Because I, I would get the footage and see, okay, what is this interview and this B-roll speaking to me about? So, and that. Regard. It was very honest, and it, I could focus thoroughly and um, bring into the surface the truths that each one of these characters were representing. Now, going back to your quen- question, why does sports um, unite? Hmm, I think it. I think what happens is that it operates in a very um, non-cerebral way. Mm-hmm. Primarily, it is something that goes straight <clears throat> to the emotional core of human beings, and in that in that regard, I think the the sensations that one experiences when following your team, when rooting, when hoping for your team, um, when growing through seeing your team lose in a World Cup, and knowing that that loss. Will not you won't get a rematch to that until four years from now. That is something that only soccer has. Um, th- I mean, there's a there's a there's a Super Bowl every year, right? Yeah. But there's a World Cup once every four years. So the buildup, the excitement to that, the amount of hope, and the amount of 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 deception actually creates these deaths and
0: rebirths in people that follow football that you that
1: are coming to almost everybody because only one team wins, wins the world cup all the others are joined to this common humanity of having to wait four years until it happens again so as much as your team plays every weekend there's always this underlying main event which is the world cup that everybody hopes to and waits for and actually buys new tvs for every three or four years um when, the, you know, people can. And I think that that's something common to at least most of the world. Uh, and the U.S. is tuning into that,
0: which is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess i learned, especially in Washington, D.C., since we have, you know, all the embassies here, a majority of them, and uh, I think the World Cup was either this past summer, 2018 or 2017? A- 18. 18. So I remember a lot of my friends and colleagues who are from different countries, like they were glued to the TV uh, for the World Cup. And Americans were starting to pay more attention, but I'm growing up in the United States, it wasn't as big of a deal. Um, but it's it's really fascinating for me, who's not an athlete, to see just the behavior for people and how emotionally invested they are. And And what you are talking about is, Every weekend they have a game, it's like a short-term goal, but the end goal, the long-term goal, is to get to play professionally or, in this case, go to the World Cup and represent your country, your your team, and your people.
1: Um, well, it's, well, it's the end goal. It's, so, it's like the, it's the ultimate dream, as mm-hmm. Carnton Talisa, one of her characters, yes. says. It's the, it's the ultimate dream. The World Cup, that, that's why it is so... Unbelievable! I don't know if you've heard of Diego Maradona. He's the—he's the—I mean, in my opinion, the best player that ever was because Excellent. of Argentinian, and yeah. um, and the most fascinating soccer personality to have followed when growing up and it is so unbelievable there is actually footage of him as a poor child with no sneakers in mm-hmm. a piece of dirt
0: plane saying and someone shooting him because he could he
1: could dribble very well and he but he lived in a shantytown and he's being interviewed as a kid and he, he says my dream is to play with the national team and one day win a World Cup and to actually have done that. And everything is filmed. That, I mean, the fact that that happens is unbelievable. That Maradona, there's footage of him as a mm-hmm. child when even nobody had cameras. You know, it's just really weird. Um, Maradona is what is—he's present in our film, of course, because he's such an intrinsic part of football yeah. that um, he's always being referred to. So as as Messi is um, sometimes in Ronaldo, but Messi, Maradona—they're like common pivots of the football conversation that we that we use because that is that's how they play in the imaginary of these characters um but the thing is that the, the important the, going back to your original question mm-hmm. is something that i i let an example i like to give because it's something that i told my editorial team as we were building the stories and kind of carving out what was important it's like I would tell them, guys, treat the film as if these guys are butchers. They're really Mm. great butchers, or if that doesn't analogy work, they're great carpenters, or they're locksmiths. They're whatever they because they could be. And I would be saying, I would be telling a very similar story if they were that devoted to what they're doing. Um, So that's why, and we and as we were making the film, I would talk to my producers because I mean. Many of these characters, many of these subjects, the more they grow in their career, the more media-trained they are, so the interviews were would become, A, less accessible, and perhaps even less interesting, but we were lucky because we, would gr- we grabbed these guys right before that happened, so the level of honesty that was coming out in their testimonies, um, would perhaps not have not have happened if we shot him two or three years later. But at, but one like a common thing that they say is like, oh, my ultimate dream is to play in the World Cup. Now we never included that in the film because anybody who knows soccer that is a given. That is, mm-hmm. we don't need to know. We don't need to know that. We don't build emotion based on that. Um, I'm interested about other things. I'm interested in in the mutual sacrifice that. Okay. Gaston Gourcier, the goalie of Pinerole, when he was twelve, made with his mom, knowing that he needed to leave his hometown. And he told his mom, when he saw her almost, almost breaking down for the first time, he said, "If we're going to do this, we got to be strong because otherwise, I won't make it alone." And yeah. what they were saying is, we can't be crying when we
0: see each other. Although we we know we will be crying when mm. we say goodbye. Yeah. And those sacrifices, and in a, how do you think, to them, does it pay off? Does it, um, how do you think that the messaging is for anyone? Because some did and some didn't reach to their goals. Um, some were left, I remember there was one who got really seriously injured and needed surgery and things. So you worked for years and years as a child and now you have this injury that could, ruin everything so how do you think they uh and the film express what messages are um to your goals right because
1: because to me the goal is the life the football mm. life the underlying question that Arby, my co-writer and i had was is this worth it because you see these guys and you start to ask yourself oh man is this worth it um <laughs> And the answer was always we knew the answer was yes, because the love for the game surpasses all of that. So that's why when we were two when we were narrowing down our players and I was feeling very, very close to these six guys, it was because I wanted to make a film in which each character would put forth a specific truth of the overall experience of the football life so each character represents a different part of the journey and the cyclical nature of the lifestyle of, the, of this life itself is inevitable One character starts in an academy. They all start in an academy. Another character hopes to be sold. That's what they all go through. Another character gets sold. Another character arrives to a new team and his expectations are not what he thought they would be. Another character doesn't want to get sold because of the love that he has for his own team. Um, So all these dilemmas, they all go through them. But they will go through them in different times in their life. But we... We used these different characters that are having these dilemmas in unison to create this tapestry of the life. So when we talk about the goals, I think the goal is making the decision of assuming this this kind of life. The same for a musician. I mean, a guy that decides to be a,
0: a musician and says and and really comes to terms with the fact that he
1: has to make many choices around that dream. I take my. I've always taken my hat off to that. Mm-hmm. And with these, with these, with these players, it's pretty much the same thing. And the cyclical nature is so apparent that it doesn't even end with the films. When you say some characters didn't reach their goals, but they're only in their twenties, and that's when the film ends. Yeah. But the film, the film opens up this window of okay, this is this is a process. This is going to keep going, even to the extent that one of the characters actually after the film in reality kind of during but our story ends earlier than that he gets injured and he ends up in the same clinic where our Russian character is mm-hmm. throughout the whole film it right. being seen by the same doctor um, so this it, it's like it's like a wheel
0: <laughs> yeah and now um, kind of switching gears I wanted to see for you it sounds like quite a task to have you said you started with 63 players and chose six to concentrate
1: yeah um i yes when i when i was
0: when i was brought in to start evaluating Mm -hmm. there were the, the the short list was narrower than that okay but but i did look into Characters that had been overlooked. One of my
1: characters, Manuel Mamana, had been overlooked by by the, by by the first shortlist. Um, and he's from my father's area in Buenos Aires. And the way he, through his interview, I realized there was something really interesting because there, we, we conducted several interviews with him, and he would start revealing information little by little, he would say, well, I don't like to be alone. Mm-hmm. And he would say, maybe because of the things that I've been through, but that he didn't, we wouldn't say anything else. And in the second or third interview, we learn what, what happened to him, which we learn in the film, mm-hmm. um, which is something that will happen to all of us eventually, in our hopefully in our really middle-aged or, or grown adult life. But he went through this as a teenager. Um, and the fact that he was... I, I, when, when, when writing, when, when, yeah, writing, editing the film, we, we wanted to be honest the way he was letting go of the information,
0: because we, we felt that that was the proper way of structuring it as well. Yeah. Did I, yeah, did I, I, I'm sorry, what was your Well, my question, well, it was going to be more of like, you have all these different languages, I'm guessing you don't know all of those languages fluently enough. So to work with people who can translate it, work with the the crew that were in the following these individuals, um, seeing what working with the editor or editors um, and the producers, the cost and was it how many years did they follow the players? About three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah, I was like, it's more than two. So, was this considered like one of your biggest? Uh, films that you've ever worked on and what did you learn from it and now can you feel like you can do anything you're like oh i only have to one follow one person (laughs) piece of cake it's
1: a good question you know why because it's it's not easy to answer because Mm -hmm. my previous i mean this is technically my first feature Mm -hmm. but i there's another feature that hasn't been released yet Mm -hmm. um in which It's a very small film because I follow two plumbers here in the States, an Mm. American plumber and his Mexican helper, in their everyday life. So it's a very intimate slice of life film, but I follow them for a decade. Wow. So, I mean, on and off.
0: Cool. Right, exactly, but, but you're keeping in touch to see their life yeah, progression. So we we see that over the
1: film. So the question is, which film is bigger?
0: Um, mm. I mean, this film is shot all over the world, and it 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 has the the unique perspective
1: of these individual filmmakers that were actually looking through the lenses in these parts, which I was um putting forth. And I mean, I was I was. Looking forward to as footage would come in, I knew what lapinza in Senegal would deliver versus what uh, Gilles in France mm-hmm. would deliver versus what uh, Sophia from Russia would send. And miraculously, the filmmaking style of, that was being given to me was very, um, it would mirror the in the life that these characters were on. Our Russian player begins at the top of the world. He just won the Russian Cup. Mm. He's, he, he's held in arms by the whole stadium, and his story is shot with drones all over the place. Um, there's a really huge cinematic crew following him, because that's who he is. And then Paul who is still in an academy in Senegal, hoping and dreaming, he's shot by Lopinza who is a one man show. It's just her and the camera and her interviews are so rough, but he's a, he's a diamond in the rough and we see that evolving as the film progresses. So all these are perhaps subtleties that maybe were are speaking to me alone, but I think once the film is composed, they, they and now if, if someone knows this after hearing me or something, you can observe it and appreciate it. Uh, in terms mm-hmm. of the languages, um, that was also it was challenging, but um, I've my, many of the films I've made are always they always required subtitles because it was they're either about an elderly woman that whose voice is not clear enough so she needs subtitle, or a film about two people uh, like the plumbers one. There's half of the film is in Spanish because much of it takes place in Mexico. When I went back and shot there, so subtitles has always been. Something that I work with, okay. not something that comes late in the game, something that comes through as the film is being structured because it is a way of editing, a special way of editing because you need moment of exposition, moment of reading, moment of
0: reflection. So the, it, it definitely dictates the pacing. Yeah, gotcha. So it sounds like you had a great point of each project has its own challenges, but also that's part of the great fun of it, to be in this industry and working what we do. Uh, Either it's following two people very closely for 10 years, or it's following 63 to 6, down to 6 people very closely across the globe for three years. Hmm. Um, And everything else in between. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're following an elderly...
1: Person in the very last days of her life. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so now, I was just going to say, I mean, I, is there anything you wanted to share with anyone who's listening about the documentary, about how they can view it if they haven't been able to get to any of the screenings? Um, anything you want people to take away from it that you want to share? Well, something to take away from it is
1: that the documentary is very entertaining and mm-hmm. very exciting. Very exciting. Um, I worked
0: very closely with my composer Adam Peters who scored Icarus that won
1: the Academy Award last year Um, and uh, the music collaboration was very intrinsical we recorded a live orchestra in Argentina for the film and the the way the story is created with each conversation I'm sorry each scene having a conversation with the previous and the next scene and following these these Characters and rooting for them. The film is very exciting to watch, and it's thrilling in the second act. And it has everything that we hope that a uh, well-told story has, in my opinion. Um, and I'm able to confirm this when I, you know when I watch it in the theater. Now it's very cool with, just to see how people react to it. Yeah. So I, I want to I, I very encourage people to go out to the screenings and festivals because. Because it's a it's a very unique experience to see it in the theater, and if you like something that we were being asked a lot is at Santa Barbara in our premiere, is how can I get my kids to see this movie? How can I get? Where can I see it again? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're actually looking for distribution now. So if whoever did see it and liked the movie, if they whatever whatever noise they can make will help, will help you know, help us continue creating this case in order to, you know, bring it out into the world um, in, in however fashion. I mean, there, there will be hopefully commercial screenings down the line, but uh, a, a proper distribution agreement has, is, is not settled yet. So whenever the film comes to a festival near you, I encourage people to watch it, and I think that will be very inspired and entertained.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, and is there a website or anywhere that you want to share? Yeah, you, can, you can follow some of the, our premiere stuff at uh, OrdinaryGodsFilm.com. OrdinaryGodsFilm.com. So thank you so much. Can't wait to see it again in the thank big you, screen. Tara. And um, safe travels. Are you coming to D.C.? It's, uh, I'm planning to, yes. Awesome. Okay, great. Thank you again. Thanks so much, Sarah. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the DC Independent Film Festival's podcast. Please check out our website at org. You can follow us too on Twitter at DC Indie Film Fest. Facebook at DCIFF and Instagram at DC Indie Film Festival. Till next time.